Hi, and welcome to this championship edition of NFL Game Time Podcast. With your hosts, I'm Alex Rubinson. And I'm Shai Dweck. We've almost made it to championship weekend, battling out for the right to go to the Super Bowl. We're going to recap last week's games and then break down these championship games, two games that obviously a lot's at stake. They should be fun. They should be exciting. So, Shy, let's get right into it because it's game, game time. time. So, with the AFC game, Bengals at the Chiefs, that's going to be the first game on the Sunday slate. Let's start with the AFC, kind of talk about recapping these last two games or the AFC games in the divisional round, how they got, and then how kind of these teams got here. Obviously, I think let's start with the Bills Chiefs because obviously that's getting a lot of the sure. publicity um, when you look at not just the KC and Buffalo markets, but just the you know broad, uh, really U.S. sports media attention. And I think I want to I want to start with this because obviously I think it's the elephant in the room. The Bills did not lose because of the overtime rules. I think let's can we get that straight now? And I, I, the Bills did not lose this game because it come it comes out to a coin flip. Thirteen seconds. Josh Allen scored the game winning touchdown, or what we thought was going to be the game winning touchdown, with thirteen seconds remaining. And this Bills defense, a defense that had been built, was a good unit, a solid unit all year, had leadership both on the field and on the coaching staff with Leslie Frazier. Real good unit throughout the entire year. Obviously, Tredavious White injured uh, for really the, um, most of the second half and into the playoffs. But even after that, they still showed they can be a solid defense. And for most of most of... I'd say at least kind of the first half, third quarter, they weren't terrible. You look at, except for those, you know, few drives, what, there was a chance that they were going to allow 26 or so points, which isn't terrible. But you allowed essentially two game go-ahead slash game-tying drives, and that's before we even got to overtime. And then obviously we can get into the overtime rules, you know, this, that, and the other. But the Bills' defense had multiple chances to put this game on ice, inc- including basically just don't allow two complete, just don't allow forty yards in thirteen seconds. I yeah, I and think, the game's in the bag. Look, you're right. That is inexcusable from any NFL defense, frankly, much less a playoff defense, especially at this stage in the season. But I'd like to say you're playing against Patrick Mahomes, and it did, you know, as as crazy as it might sound, it, it did feel like. Whoever had the ball last would win. And that really happened literally. So I think there is some merit to the fact that, yeah, maybe these overtime rules need to be examined because it allows for a more competitive game of football uh, uh, where both, you know, offenses get to touch the ball. But then my rebuttal to that is, let's say, under those rules, Chiefs get, get the ball first, score a touchdown. Bills get the ball first. They score a touchdown. Then are we playing sudden death? Or are we just playing each team gets a possession until one team wins the game? Like the Chiefs, both teams get one possession, and let's say it's tied after that. Then do both teams get two possessions? And does the game, and does that just keep going on and on and on? 
Well, there's two ways to do it, right? You can do the college overtime rules, which is... Really, you're you know, getting about the 25-yard line. I think, though, for NFL offenses, that might be too, too easy. easy, especially when you look at these kickers are more are better than the college kickers, where... You're already getting points. Rare. And that's, that's still the case in a lot of situations in college, but it's not a gimme. You're kicking from your 25-yard line, or where that's what, probably around a 37-yard field goal. Again, it's not a... I don't want to say it's a gimme, because nothing is. But in the NFL, you're expected to make that a lot more so than college. For me, I, this might sound a little too complicated, Alex, but I think in overtime, as soon as a team goes up two scores, the game's over. So you're waiting for a team to go up two scores. By Yeah, so double 10 points or greater two scores, or I guess that could potentially be nine with a safety. But I think when a team goes up two scores, the game should end. I think that is your happy medium. That's you know that's but what now, I would do. Are you now? Let's go to regular season games, and take that. Are, are, what happens if a team's up by one score and the ten minute period ends? The game ends. But who are we assigning the team? Are we no, saying no, no, they no, win? No. They get but the win. If 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 okay, so it's a team goes down. So obviously, if a team goes down and scores a field goal. And then no other scoring happens in the overtime period. A team that has more points wins the game. Okay, we're still... I'm just saying in terms of not having you know us play another 15 minutes of football, the team that goes up two scores should win. That allows I just that think extra that, possession. I mean, that game, especially when we're talking about the postseason, where there really is no time limit, it can go as many overtimes as it needs to. That could go over. I mean that that game's gonna be a long game. You talk about both the mental and physical exhaustion. That's going to come with that. And what then, happens in the NBA? I mean, it's not the NFL, but there they can be triple, quadruple overtimes you know, in, in playoff games. So The injury risk isn't as significant in the NBA. It we, isn't, but this is NFL football. I mean, I, Also, an NBA overtime period is five minutes? I, 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 be, I believe that's right, yes, five minutes. And an NBA quarter is 12. 12 minutes. And an NFL quarter is 15, and overtime is... You know, any frankly, depending I think, on if it's regular season or postseason, it's ten or fifteen. So an NFL game, specifically looking at overtime, is much longer than well, the NBA. What I would also do is I would shorten the overtime, and I would what the, I would have the overtime universally be ten minutes. I think there's no need to play fifteen minutes of overtime. And then you would just keep the ten minutes. I would in keep the, the ten minutes season. in the regular season. I think right. that makes the most sense. Why well, have them play a whole other quarter of football? And if a team possesses the ball for a crazy amount of time where it makes it that hard for him to come back, yeah, that's your defense's fault. And you could say the same thing about, you know, going down the field and swing a touchdown, but I think it's, you know, you have that opportunity. If a team possesses the ball for eight minutes or, you know, maybe ten minutes won't happen, but I think you're allowing a greater chance for a more competitive product, uh, you know, a better game of football and allowing each team to show its strengths. This is... The NFL, I think we love it because of how much of a team game it is. And I think as fans, especially when our team isn't in it, we can get so caught up and excited in offense, 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 offense. And I think what is great about the current overtime rules is it doesn't... It almost, it makes every phase of the ball uh, important. Right? Like... Your defense has to make a stop. Your special teams you know, needs to set up either your offense or defense with a good field position. 
And I guess if you are the team that gets the ball first, yeah, there is that more pressure on offense and being aggressive. So and being excited. If we're having two offensive powerhouses play each other with bad defenses, you're just you're basically leaving it up to a coin flip. The game goes to overtime. That's the game. I think uh, you're, you're saying you're saying that's fine. There's no problem with that. And I think. Be. Well, what I'm saying is, I think that we yes we get we get so caught up in offense, and I think I like when. You know, sometimes the game does come down to making a defensive play, a defensive stop, and I think we've lost sight of that. I think you have a valid point, but I I just don't think at a certain. I'm I'm not I'm not someone who's going to bang my fist on the table and say this needs to change because frankly I'm not of the opinion. I don't think it's the best way to do it, but I don't necessarily think I wouldn't use the word unfair outright. And I think we're both at that. At, right. And agree. again, I, I don't. I'm not strongly opinionated on this one way or the other. If they change it, they change it. I'd be perfectly fine with it. I just think there's so much they have to change it. They have no other option. And I'm always just trying to say, let's take a step back. It's not that easy. It's not that easy to say let's change the rule because now you're you're leaving. A, you've opened up a lot of doors that maybe you didn't intend to open. I, I think that's right. Um, but I think, yeah, I mean, I'm, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I, you know, I think in this, at a certain point in these games, you want to have each team have the ball and then I, if they can, and then it allows for a more competitive game. You know, it's. I'm not going to say a coin flip won that game by Andy Stretch of the Imagination, because that's I not think true. Patrick Mahomes won that game. Right. But. <laughs> I, I think at, at, at a certain point, there's too... I think the, the the coin flip has too much influence in the outcome. Not that it determines it, but it has too much of an influence. Which is fair. Now, let's get back to... Right, we spent, sorry, we spent 10 minutes on the overtime. On ranking. overtime. We'll get back I want to get more, more towards the, the football side of things. Yes. And I wanted to get your thoughts because this is something that really confused me in real time. When there's very little time left at the end of the game... You see, you know, those prevent defenses sure. guard the boundary, and it really looked like the coverage, uh, especially against Kelsey on the last play, was guard the boundary, outside leverage, making sure he can't have any corner route or outbreaking route. Yeah, it looked like a straight cover too. Which normally that's fine. Keep him in bounds. The only problem was at the beginning of that drive, and then right before the Kelsey play, they had, they had two timeouts at the beginning of the drive. And they took one after the first play, and then obviously they took their second after the Kelsey play. So when a team has two timeouts, guarding the boundary, guarding the sideline doesn't really matter. So I was confused to see the Bills' defensive alignment and strategy in those final 13 seconds. Because in my mind, they were almost playing like, yeah, keep him in the middle of the field when the Chiefs have the two opportunities to stop the clock anyway. I don't know if you saw that as well. No, but I... that just confused me. Given you have to be, you have to know how many timeouts your opponent has, and then adjust accordingly to how you defend those final thirteen seconds. If I'm the Bills, I completely agree, but I almost want to just give more credit to the Chiefs. You know, the defense is, you know, it takes guts, and you know, the defense you're playing at so is likely going to come out in a cover two concept. If you're, if you, you know, know you have those timeouts take a deep breath, and you think to yourself, because I don't think a lot of teams are going to do this. 
you know, you think to yourself, let me make that throw. I don't know if it was a zone or a man coverage, but it's, a, you know, that was not a, a, a super easy throw to make. And you also are relying on Patrick Mahomes to break tackles and run away from guys. Or not Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey to break tackles after that catch and pick up a lot of, a lot of uh, yak there. And he did. And I think that can be dangerous when you're talking about time, you know, 13 seconds, even if you have those timeouts. Yeah, there's something that we're going to move on now, go kind of to that Bengals-Titans game, but there is something I want to, I'm going to bring up with Kelsey again when we talk about the Bengals and potentially how they can stop Travis Kelsey. Because mm. I think, I know they've kind of been the laughing stock over the last few months, but I'm going to bring up the Giants and their strategy against Kelsey because you look at that game, they actually did a very good job at limiting Kelsey. So I'm going to bring up what they did well and kind of say this is what Cincy needs to do. But let's go to that Titans-Bengals game. As, Shy, we've been saying all year, the Bengals are playing despite subpar offensive line performances. And they were kind of playing, you know, in spite of it. Um, they were pl- The offensive line, I think, in some areas were playing above expectations. But really, they were overcoming poor play at guard, at tackle. And I know they got the win against the Titans, but really for the first time all year, all those potential issues really showcased themselves all at once and came to the surface. And I think for me, one of the biggest concerns was the one guy who I think brought some level of stability to that offensive line was Jonah Williams. He was getting bull rushed on every play. He was getting their best tackle, really best offensive lineman at left tackle, was getting blown up every play. Burrow had no protection. There was even a play and ended up getting called dead because of a penalty. I thought Burrow may have torn his ACL again. They got exposed. You know, you heard the Titans coaches on the sideline, you know, the mic'd up saying, they can't block us. Nine sacks were allowed. I think that is tied with this season's record. I think the Steelers I think it, put up nine against was it Cleveland this year. Not just that. That tied a postseason single game record. It, I mean, there's just there's really yes. One is we've been saying it all year. It's come to bite them, and I think we both knew it would at some point. It, it, it the offensive line almost single handedly lost them the game against Tennessee. And it's interesting because I feel like they've played much better units, units in, you know, in their division, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, that I would argue have better pass rushes than Tennessee. I think Tennessee, what they have is, it's not just one guy. Like, I think the Browns, mm. Clowney's, you know, obviously Clowney's been solid, but most of it's Garrett. You have, you obviously mm. Pittsburgh, TJ Watt has proven to be the best pass rusher this year, but other than that, they don't have the same depth they did, they have in years past. Baltimore's obviously, Judon's moved on in free agency. They had their own injuries. A lot of young guys, like, away on that offensive line. You look at Tennessee, you have a Bud Dupree. You have a Harold Landry. Simmons in the middle was, I was great. Uh, well, I was good. I wanted to kind of get to Simmons last just oh, because sorry. I think right now he probably is the best player on that defense, and he's showing that he's a pro bowler, even a potential all-pro caliber defensive tackle who's not just a run stuffer, but he can really get after the quarterback. Even a guy like Danico Autry made some plays, had some pressures, even got after Burrow as well. So I think it wasn't... You look Obviously, Simmons, I think, was 
the guy who disrupted things the most, especially from the interior where Burrow couldn't step up in the pocket. But it really seemed like it was a collaborative collaborative effort, not just one guy wreaking havoc. And I, I think that's right. The Bengals have some reach on to do on the offensive line. But I almost want to say this makes it an even more impressive win for them. Because they didn't, you know, they there's a lot of adversity. And I'm going to use a Tomlinism here. They didn't blink. They, you know, essentially uh, embraced the fact that, yeah, we can't, we, we can't block them right now. Joe Burrow, you know... This is the one thing I dis- disagreed with, with the, t- the, the, the Titans were saying on the sideline, that Joe Burrow was scared. Uh-uh. He took hit after hit in that game and delivered the throws. And that, you know, after having, you know, tearing uh, your ACL last season, you know, having confidence issues coming in the season about, you know, being able to step up in the pocket and, and in your offensive line, we were talking about it, you know, in the offseason podcast. But, you know, after taking nine sacks and still, you know, putting your team in the position to win this game and doing it how they did defensively as well, forcing turnovers when they needed to, I would argue that this is one of the more impressive wins that Cincinnati has uh, put up this season, despite it not being a showy performance against Kansas City you know, or any of those other games where they put up 40 against Pittsburgh. This game, I think, shows how dangerous Cincinnati is. They can win dirty. They can win like this. Well, that's what I was going to point out before we get to Bengals-Chiefs, the actual AFC Championship game, is all year they've won, I feel like, with flash and big plays, big chunk plays, airing it out. And I know Burrow put up, I think, almost 350 passing yards. But it really seemed like they won an ugly game. And I think for the Bengals, who were a younger team, a team we didn't expect to be in this position— at the beginning of the year, I think it was a like a season defining win because of ha- you know they had to win a game that maybe earlier in the year they don't win, or last year they certainly don't win. But I think this win really showed the growth of Joe Burrow and the growth of a lot of these younger players and even younger coaches on the Bengals team, knowing hey we can win this these dirty ugly. You know, games that are won in the trenches, we're capable of winning those games too. We are, we're not just a one-dimensional football team. So I'll just quickly, I want to ask you about, you know, on the other side of the ball, Ryan Tannehill. And I know not this game, you know, can't be placed on him, but I think a lot of his play should be scrutinized oh, no, in I've, this game. He... He has he's had some nice playoff performances in the past. I think you look at a couple years ago, the Patriots he played well. Baltimore, Baltimore. Even when they lost against the Chiefs, you know they were up ten nothing. This was one of his worst performances, maybe in a Titans uniform, regular season or postseason. He really struggled. Uh, not only a couple of big plays that were generated. Kept giving the ball, you know, kept turning the ball over. You know, he's not obviously a runner, but he can run. Bengals shut that down. He And again, just his decision-making, something that he's been pretty solid at, he really struggled with. And you do wonder, no Johnny Smith, no Corey Davis this year. They have Julio Jones, but there hasn't been that great number two receiver or receiving option that stepped up. And you wonder if that came, to, came back to bite him here in the playoffs. Because Tannehill... 
he looked rusty, and he looked like a quarterback who hadn't played in a couple of weeks. And yeah, it's not even that Cincinnati, I thought, was bringing a ton of pressure. It, it just seemed like something was, was off. a little off. Something was off. Ball placement, anticipation, everything. It just, it just didn't, you know. It seemed right. like he was uncomfortable back there. And he never got comfortable. We were t- you were talking about Burrow and how he's gained confidence over this year about being able to trust what's going around him, not kind of, you know, look out of the side of his eye, but keep his focus downfield. It really seemed like Tana was not confident in his protect- protection and not able to fully move around uh, in and out of the pocket. I think that's absolutely right. So let's get to this game now. And <laughs> yeah. I think... We talked about that Bengals offensive line, and we talked about how they really got exposed everywhere, but really on that interior led by, for Tennessee, Jeffrey Simmons. You're not going up against, you know, a much worse pass rush, especially for the interior. You're going up against Chris Jones, and I think an argument can be made that aside from Aaron Donald, Chris Jones might be the best defensive tackle in football. Let's put some respect on Cam Hayward's name. No, Can we, please? Cam Hayward's up there, too, but I don't... After Aaron Donald, because he's by far and away number sure. one, there's there's an argument for number two. There's no definitive he's the second-best defense to tackle in the NFL. I think you want to put Hayward, Simmons, I think DeForest Buckner. Uh, I think his name should be up there as well. Sure. But I think there's an argument to be made that Chris Jones is every bit as good, if not better, than Jeffrey Simmons. And he's going up against the same competition that Jeffrey Simmons torn to shreds. You also look at the emergence of Melvin Ingram and what he's been. And, you know, this Chiefs team's line has done a much better job the second half of the season. And now they're going up against a group that, as I said, got ripped to shreds, looked uncomfortable, never got his footing, both literally and figuratively. And I th- I'm going to pick the Kansas City Chiefs, and I think a big reason why is I don't. I think the Bengals are going to be able to put up points. We saw they were able to last time. But I'm worried after the beating they took last week, will this Bengals offensive line, and I know they haven't been like the stellar offensive line all year, but can they, be, can they play you know, just, average, uh, just average football, and can they be dependable? Can this offensive line... Can Joe Burrow depend on this offensive line when he needs to most? In the fourth quarter, in a close game, can this offensive line be trusted to give Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins a shot to go up against the mighty Patrick Mahomes? Yeah, I mean, I, I think they'll be better than they were last week. That, that's not a high bar. Right. And I do expect, I, I honestly will say, I think that offensive line is better than they played last week. I think they're not. I don't think they're that bad, Alex. I'll just say that. I don't think they're that bad. I uh, think- they played, like, the worst offensive line in the NFL, though. Like, I mean, they played last week. You After watching last week, you could have thought, this is the 32nd you know, you offensive line in the NFL. But I think you watch some of these games where they have imposed their will on the ground. You see, you know, Trey Hopkins at center mauling people over. You could say, oh, this could be a top-10 unit. And I, don't, I think we both know they're not that. But I don't, I don't think they're as bad as they played on... You know, last week, and that's I'm still picking the Chiefs. I'm with you. I think Chris Jones will have his moments. I think Melvin Ingram will have his moments. But the main reason I'm gonna pick Kansas City is one: Patrick Mahomes. It's an Arrowhead, and I think in the same way we saw the offensive line exposed, 
I think it's probably going to be that defense this time. So I said at the top of the podcast that you look at the Giants game and they were able to limit Travis Kelsey. You have, and this is what Patrick Graham did so brilliantly and really took him out of the game, jam him. I you have to I know you know I know he's bigger you know he's he's like a hybrid tight end receiver you have to jam him at the line of scrimmage. You can't if if Travis Kelsey consistently gets free releases, he is going to find the soft spots in your defense every single play. You have to jam him just about every play, make him uncomfortable, throw him off his route, disrupt the timing of some of his route running. You cannot let Travis Kelsey get free releases, play in and play out. Because if he does, he's going to do what he did last week, especially at the end of game, and just tear your defense apart. The Bengals, they need, they need to, need to, especially because they have a lack of, because of lack of personnel in the secondary and lack of talent in that secondary. They need to jam him, make him uncomfortable, and throw him off his game. I still don't know if that's going to be enough, but I think if you let him get free releases. You, you don't stand a chance to begin with against that matchup nightmare. Yeah, and I think, you know, even if you're able to jam him, you know, maybe you even, you know, see him, see, you know, shade a guy like Jesse Bates oh, no. over to him, I who's been really phenomenal for the Bengals this that season. That should be a foregone conclusion. Jesse Bates, in my mind, needs to be traveling. I know they like to use him in a bunch of ways, and that that's what makes Jesse Bates such a great player because he can do so many right. different He's things. He's usually their center fielder. You usually see Von Bell but I th- more in the box. At the same time, when do you, they're usually not playing a guy of Travis Kelsey's ability. Right. And I think I agree. I think that, that is what they, they'll need to do. And, yeah, maybe they are able to double-team Tyreek Hill. But then there's Byron, Brian, Brian, Byron Pringle. Then there's Demarcus Robinson. And then there's just Patrick Mahomes... We Who saw, could throw the ball to anyone? Jarek McKinnon. We'll throw the ball. We saw from the first quarter, Bill's did a pretty good job in coverage, and Mahomes just killed him with his legs. That's so, right. I mean, they're going to – this is the same thing, you know, I was saying last week about Buffalo is they're not – what really killed them, you know, last year was they couldn't keep Mahomes in the pocket. That is really what killed them. They held up initially, and they couldn't keep him in the pocket. And – I would argue that the Bills probably have better linebackers, better guys on second level to spy Mahomes, to keep him in, you know, in contain I will say, than the Logan, team like the Bengals I do. will say Logan Wilson, one of the linebackers, is a really underrated player. He's underrated, but he's no Tremaine Edmonds. I'm not comparing him to Tremaine Edmonds, but I, and I, I do think Or Matt Milano, for that I matter. think the Bills have better linebackers. I'm not going <laughs> to argue you on that. I do, I do think, though, you know, Logan Wilson, to the average fan... People are, probably don't know who that is unless maybe you're either a big football fan or you're a Bengals fan. So I think to me, the average fan, they probably don't know Logan Wilson. I do think he's not Tremaine Edmonds. He's not Matt Milano. But I do think he's a rising uh, up-and-comer at well, the linebacker position. I think the Bengals have actually solid linebackers. I think Jermaine Pratt is also a guy that does not talk about enough. I also think that generally their pass rush is not... I mean, the Bengals' offensive line held up the Bengals' offensive line. The Chiefs' offensive the, the, line... The Bengals' offensive line did not hold Did not up. hold up. No. Thank you for that. The Chiefs' offensive line did not allow pressure on Mahomes for most of the game. And that really allowed him to get outside of the pocket. You know, there's a difference between Mahomes scrambling away from pressure and Mahomes just scrambling because he can. 
And he does both at, a, at an extremely high level, elite level. And that's what makes him probably the most dangerous quarterback in the NFL. And I think all this talk about Rodgers and Brady and Josh Allen and even Justin Herbert, after Mahomes' early skid, we kind of were saying, you know, where does Mahomes fit? And I think against Buffalo, he reminded everyone, I'm still here. I'm still the best quarterback in the NFL. Everyone's still trying to catch up to me. I was saying this, you know, before the podcast. We don't say only Josh Allen. We don't say only Aaron Rodgers. Sometimes we say only Tom Brady. But in this day and age, we say only Mahomes. And I think that you were really referring to that 13-point comeback. We're both going with the Kansas City Chiefs. I just don't think that since the offensive line will hold up. I think the Bengals will be able to put up points. But you look at when they beat the Chiefs last time, Chiefs had a 14-point lead. You know, they were up 14 nothing. They were up 28-14. Mahomes seems to turn it up a notch in the playoffs. So if they grab a 14-point lead, I don't see them taking their foot off the gas pedal, and I don't think they're going to slow down. I think if they get a 14-point lead, I think it's pretty— maybe since he can pull off another big comeback, but if it's 28-14, it's going to be tough for me to see Burrow orchestrating comeback. With Cincy, with the Cincy defense holding serve. The Chiefs, let's want to say one thing. The Chiefs cannot press Jamar Chase. Don't do it. Don't come out and press coverage against these receivers because you will lose. You will lose every time. That is how you hand the game to them. Don't do that. If Joe Burrow burns you enough times with a deep ball, that's their ticket into this game. Don't stamp it. So, we're both going with the Kansas City Chiefs. We both think that... It's really incredible that if D. Ford wasn't offsides years ago, this would be the Chiefs, what, their fourth straight Super Bowl? Obviously, D. Ford was offsides, but still. Mahomes has played four full years in the NFL. In every one of those four years, the worst Chiefs season was going to an AFC Championship game. It, it It's really remarkable. I don't think it's talked about enough. but We've never seen a career off to this type of start. Not even Tom Brady's. I mean, I'm lo- I'm looking. That's why I'm not rooting for him. <laughs> I, you want to see new blood? <laughs> I want to see new blood, especially because Mahomes isn't. Unless... Actually, no, I am rooting for them. I changed my mind. I am rooting oh, for them. You are. If they make it to the Super Bowl, I won't root for them. But right. I can't. I forgot they're playing the Bengals. For right, a second. you're not. A I can't. Fan. I can't. I yeah. can't do that. But uh, it's truly incredible what Mahomes has been able to do, and how he really has shown. I mean, he's going to be around for ten, fifteen years. That's scary. And no one's slowing him down. So that was the AFC. Lots to talk about. Should be a fun game. Now we get NFC, 49ers, Rams, part three. I love that Rams-Packers game. And maybe it's me. I love the good defensive battle, special teams showing up. That was, For me, that was a fun game to watch. That was a fun game to watch, but you were trying to tell me it was more fun than Chiefs Bills. No, okay, no. And, by the time the game had ended, the the Chiefs Bills game was more fun. Yeah, I'll say though, before the final two minutes of regulation craziness happened, I did think the Niners Packers was fun to watch, and then the final two minutes was basically a game itself in the Chiefs Bills. <laughs> That's right. I mean, I yeah, I don't know. I think the. <laughs> The, the the Niners, I mean, I'm, I'm still, like, kind of processing the fact that they, you know, just sent Aaron Rodgers home like that. 
and I'm not, I'm not going to be surprised. I think, you know, you're, you, you talked about it well, that they were the best team to go into Green Bay and win. And I think that was, you know, a good call. But I think there's a reason... By the way, I know it was a good call. That's why I called it. That, thank you, Alex. Yeah. Uh, always with terrific insight, Alex Urbanson. Of course. Of course. Expect nothing less on this nothing podcast. Else. They the the Niners won that game. Defense and special teams, and an emphasis on special teams. Well, I think you can say emphasis emphasis on special teams. I mean, the defense held Aaron Rodgers to ten points. That's right. I think that that pass rush came up came to play again, and you know was terrific. But. I think if you don't make those special teams plays at the end of the game, you lose. And I well, think yes, that's right. That's true, but you could say that throughout history, if you don't make this play, you lose. If you don't have this ball bounce this way, you lose. I mean, that's just how the NFL works. It's, you know, it, they don't call it a game of inches for nothing. I think you're right. I think you're right. I'm, I'm excited for this Rams-Niners game because... I think it's going to be ugly. I don't think you're going to see Matt Stafford put up 40 points, you know, toss to Cooper, you know, throw a Cooper Cup down the field 30 yards whenever he wants to. I just think this is going to be a gritty game. This is going to be a division matchup. And that's exciting to see in the conference championship. I think we forget. The Niners had to win the last game of the year to even make the playoffs. Against the Rams. It was against the Rams. They were on 17 nothing. In a blink of an eye. And Shai, we talked about this before. Shai McVay, up until that Week 18 game, had never, ever in his head coaching career lost a game when ahead at the half. The Niners down 17-0 in the second quarter, 17-3 at the half, delivered McVay's first ever loss when, again, up ahead at the half. This was in L.A., too. This was in L.A., and if you remember, it was in L.A., but in a lot of aspects, it kind of felt like a San Francisco home game. The Niners fan base showed out. They definitely made their voices heard in that game. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers have beaten McVay's Rams the last six times, including sweeping them this past year, where had a gritty win, comeback win in L.A., and blew them out in San Francisco. So, but yeah, you know, we always think of you know McVeigh as you know this genius and you know boy wonder, especially when he was you know in his early thirties. Kyle Shanahan has proven that he has, for whatever reason, the upper hand in this matchup. I think Kyle Shanahan was the first John McVeigh. He was. And I'm gonna, that that I mean I don't know I think that's just so fun, right? I mean, what's also fun is. All these coaches were on the Washington football team. That's very fun. I think that's the most, that's the that's what we should be talking about with this matchup, you know, right? The Washington football team had Matt LaFleur, Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay. Oh, but it gets better. I think and I could be wrong, I think they also had Kevin O'Connell, the Rams offensive coordinator. I think they had Raheem Morris, the Rams defensive coordinator. 
And again, I'm not sure if this is right, but I think they may have also had Mike McDaniel, the 49ers offensive coordinator. That <laughs> That's an all-star. I mean, if the NFL had pro provost for coaching staffs, it was the Washington football team. Now, of course, they fired Mike Shanahan and went with Jake Gruden and the rest is history. Yeah. <laughs> at least at least they're getting a new team name next week. Right. I mean, that's something we're all looking forward to. You know, the Admirals or... Commanders. The Commanders. I don't know. Yeah. I'm sure they'll all be... I'm sure they'll be, those fans will be watching this game, you know... Thinking what could have been. Yeah. What could have been, like, five... <laughs> when basically, if a, if a coach of any level has shown, there's a solid chance they work for Washington at some point in time. I think that's probably right. Back to the game. Um... This, it's so, you know, I think the Rams are just such a better team. What, but what surprises me about the way Matthew Stafford has played, look at how he ended mm-hmm. the year. Tough loss against the Niners. Gritty performance, but not a great one against a banged-up Baltimore team. We always talk about how, oh, a lot of teams, a hotter team wins coming into the postseason. Rams were not playing their best football by any stretch heading into the postseason. All of a sudden, they blow out Arizona, and obviously Tampa comes back. But for a while, they were blowing out Tampa. And if it wasn't for Tom Brady, who is the king at leading the most incredible comebacks in the history of football, you know, they probably do finish off Tampa pretty easily. Obviously, that, that wasn't the case. But again, if any quarterback not named Tom Brady is back there, I think that is a blowout. And... You also look at, I know Garoppolo's gotten a lot of um, heat and criticism over this past week. I'm, I think he's going to have somewhat of a bounce-back game. Playing Green Bay in January is difficult. Playing Green Bay when you're injured in January is even more difficult. And I'm not saying he's obviously going to throw for 300 yards, four touchdowns, and absolutely light it up. But I do think he's going to be smarter with the football. I think he's going to look more comfortable back there playing in a dome. You know, obviously not having to, the elements of a place like Lambeau Field. So I do think Garoppolo bounces back to a degree. With that being said, I'm going to go with the Rams. And I love how both these teams are playing. Really, I love what the Niners are doing. And for me, it's such a coin flip. Maybe I'll change my pick by the time the game rolls around. But for now, I'm going to pick the Rams. And it's just, I know, obviously, the Bucks came back, and that's definitely a red flag. But I think you look at the way they've played over these last two weeks, for the most part, playing against a tough type of competition, they look like a completely different team than when they blew that 17 nothing lead to the 49ers. You're right, they do. Matthew Stafford, he looks great. He looks confident. It doesn't seem like any plan right now can can stop Cooper Cup, Odell Beckham Jr. And the Niners certainly don't have the secondary talent to match up against an Odell Beckham Jr., a Cooper Cup, even a Van Jefferson as their number three. I mean, we saw, you know, how much Tampa was struggling with it. And that is, they have a pretty good defense, not the best secondary, but certainly far and away better than what we saw from San Francisco. And let's also take a look at you know, that Tampa pass rush. What impressed me a lot was this Rams offensive line was stout in pass protection. 
you know, you saw guy Rob Havenstein really, you know, getting bull rushed by, you know, a guy like Shaquille Barrett. He 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 stood like yeah. a tree. And keep you know, him, he, and, he held him. And you're praising all this. Meanwhile, Andrew Whitworth was a very late scratch. Like we didn't we thought it was a foregone conclusion. All of a sudden, hour and a half, two hours before game time, Andrew Whitworth's out. So they were also I don't want to say panicking, because I think maybe behind the scenes they probably had a better idea than definitely the outside, uh, like pe- people like us did. But that was a surprise, and knowing they did play that well, Pierre Paul did get after uh, against I against some you know against their backup, but Andrew Whitworth he's back. This Rams offensive line might get even stronger. Yeah, and I also want to point out if Cam Akers doesn't fumble twice, I mean that's really what you know helped Tampa Bay get back in this thing and some of these fumbles were like really inexcusable i mean you've got to hold on to that football those are not even i wouldn't even call them an nfl fumble that was a a college level fumble you've got to protect the ball in those situations i mean that he is was still really getting ridiculous. i think he is still getting his feet wet he hasn't played in a while now there are no excuses then and don't play him that was gonna be my that i was gonna say that if he continues to fumble i think you're gonna have to take him out especially when you do get with that offensive line, they do have a good running game even without him. Uh, but I do think he'll bounce back. I do think that's kind of, you know, bad luck. Bucks have a very good front I mean, seven. Look, you fumble in the red zone is one thing. And then when they're starting to get back in the game, you fumble again in your own At, territory. If he falls down right there, the game's over. Because he had the first down picked up. And with Tampa no longer having any timeouts, the game's, all they have to do is kneel and the game's over. Exactly. I mean... I I I I don't you know I think the Niners if they win this game, it's gonna be yeah Jimmy G makes smart decisions and I think he will and I think he'll keep him in it and maybe Nick Bosa and company are able to impose their will on this Rams offensive line, but that's how the Niners are gonna win this game, and I think the Rams have shown that they're better and they can win those matchups where. You know, the Niners have strengths. And also, I know, you know, I know that the, the Niners secondary made plays last time, but I will say, Cooper I think Cup is hot. He is. I will say, after that, the first drive, Devontae Adams really tore him apart. I mean, it, Devontae Adams, everything went to Devontae Adams, and he was catching everything. He was getting open on basically every route imaginable. But I think you do have to give D'Amico Ryans, their defensive coordinator, a lot of credit because after kind of that first drive, two drives, that once the fumble happened, they did a great job clamping down on Devontae Adams, bracketing him, really limiting his production after getting off to that hot start. So I do think we have to give D'Amico Ryans credit there. On, they were able to limit Devontae Adams after the first drive. I wonder if their game plan will be similar to Cooper Cup. But that leads me to my next point is the problem is the, you know, the chemistry between Matthew Stafford and Odell Beckham Jr. has really started to uh, wake up. And it's really, it that's peaking at the right time. Before, I think it was like, yes, Odell's this talented receiver and Stafford's trying to get the ball to him, you know, on different routes. Certain plays are designed for him. Now it's, here's the play call. Maybe Cooper Cup, maybe it's the one one out of 30 chances he's not open. Let me go to Odell, who I know is open, who I know is doing what he's supposed to do. And it really seems like 
over these last few weeks, kind of end of the last couple weeks of the regular season, especially against Baltimore, big fourth down, he went to Odell. First and goal in the red or inside like the five for the game winning touchdown, he went to Odell. You look at some big, some big third downs. I felt like against the Bucks, it wasn't always Cooper Cup. So yes, Cooper Cup is still the number one receiver. Yes, the Niners need to do everything they do. They need to to clamp down on Cup, and he needs to be the number one priority. But I think what's separating this Rams team, and I think a reason why they're starting to heat up, especially that offense, is because of how well and how much Stafford and Odell are on the same page, and how Odell is. He's not the guy he was maybe when he was with the Giants, but he certainly looks to be, you know, on that trajectory or at least better than at any point of what he's shown when he was with Baker Mayfield and the Browns. I, for sure. I mean, it almost you know I was just thinking about this. Remember Robert Woods? <laughs> like, yeah. Imagine and keep in mind they signed Odell. The I think like the day they signed Odell was the day Woods tore his ACL, or was maybe a day after, or or. Woods towards ACL a day after. So the timing was a complete coincidence, but they actually didn't bring Odell because of the Woods ACL. <laughs> it's just fun to think of, like, what, is, what yeah. if all three of these receivers, and then you also had an just incredible job by Cup as a blocker. He doesn't yeah. get enough credit. Him and Robert Woods, are, in my mind, are the two best blocking receivers in the NFL. It, it just shows how, you know, how selfless they are. And how they're willing to do the dirty work. And it's really fun to watch, even if it's not the most pretty thing. I, I think that's right. I mean, another matchup that I want to watch is Vaughn Miller, who's, I think, played a, played very well. Playoff Vaughn. Playoff Vaughn. Played very well these last couple of weeks. Maybe not talked about enough. Going up against Trent Williams. And Trent Williams, I don't know. We, he's not practicing. Now, I think he'll play. But how healthy is he? I don't know if we're getting a 100% healthy Trent Williams coming into this game. You know, that's that's a reason why I'm going with the Los Angeles Rams. It, for me, again, it's really a coin flip, but he Von Miller, mm-hmm. he won, we forget, Von Miller was a Super Bowl MVP. And I'm not saying he was. he's playing like he was peak Denver, because that was maybe the best pass rusher in the NFL at that time. But you look at how he's been the last few the last few weeks, he's kind of found the fountain of youth. Maybe maybe playing in the playoffs, playing for a winning organization. The has, fact that he's seeing, you know, not seeing as many double teams because of well, Aaron Donald, Leonard Floyd. Well, I just think sometimes that change of scenery and we're going from a losing organization to a team that's winning and in the playoffs, something that can kind of rejuvenate a guy like Von Miller. And I think that's what we're starting to see here in the biggest games come playoff time. I, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, Trent Williams looked a little bit hobbled. You know, it looked like that game was long for him against Green Bay. And it might be long for him this week, too. And I'll say, Debo, I think, is healthy. He's, he is even practicing. But the last image we saw of Debo was him hopping on one leg, doing everything he can to get to the sideline, where, again, he's literally hopping on one leg, and he put zero pressure on the other leg. So that may have been just how much he was used and the, you know, cold conditions of Green Bay that, you know, maybe he needs to rest up and he'll be fine. But I definitely think, like, that's not being talked about enough. The Kind of the last sight we saw of Debo before the game ended last week, you know, against the Packers. I I think that's that's a phenomenal point. George I mean, Kittle needs to step up. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, he... 
I don't think he made enough plays. He had the huge drop. That was, you know, that was almost inexcusable. Um, you got to make those plays against Green Bay. That's not how you win, you know, games. These and that wasn't games. on Garoppolo. Garoppolo, perfect ball, would have set Great them up ball. in at least field goal range, big first down. Kittle needs to step up because I feel like the, they've gone by without him. But I really feel like the last couple games, it's kind of been the Debo Samuel show. Exactly. I was just about to say that. With George Kittle not being the top one to two tight end that I think we've been accustomed to seeing him as. And now, you know, there are consequences of having, you know, you're a receiver who's your number one, you know, pass catcher. Also, your number potentially one. you're not a number one running back. And that just also, you, you t- we're talking about the risk of injury. That just exaggerates it. I, I mean, I, and I think you know that if you're Kyle Shanahan. You know, you know, this is a lot. And it's a lot for any player. I and mean, we know, you know, Debo is a, is a freak of nature. He, you know, but so is George has, Kittle. So is George Kittle. But, you, I mean, you can't your stars, line up George Kittle as half. No, no, I, but what, what I'm saying is you need your stars to step up. And George Kittle, I think, is maybe not the same caliber of type or type of player that Debo Samuel was. But we're talking about freak of natures. I say George Kittle is a freak of nature in his own right, but he's not stepping up to the occasion. Jimmy Garoppolo, we can blame him all we want. He needs his best players to step up when the game matters most. And so far, Debo's doing that. George Kittle hasn't. And in a game where I think they're going to need a lot more than 13 points, George Kittle needs to be the top one to two tight ends that we've seen over the last couple of years. I I, I completely agree. I mean... He's gotta he's gotta step up. At, Jimmy Garoppolo is gonna be expected to manage this game and make the throws. And all you can really ask him at this point is get the ball to the open man. And if you're George Kittle, you've got to get open. You've got to you know get open, but also make those contested make those catches. catches. Get the yak yards after catch. Be, in a in a lot of you know a lot of the Niners' offensive passing game is an extension of their run game. There were a lot exactly. of slant crosser concepts, and if you're not able to really make those routine plays routinely, using another Tomlinism, I need to need to get off it a little bit, but that you're going to have issues, especially when it's eighty five. Your your safety blanket, if you will. It's funny that this is Super Bowl. We're almost at Super Bowl 56. 54 Super Bowls went by. 54 years went by. No team had ever hosted a Super Bowl in their own stadium. Vikings came close in, I believe, 17-18 season. Buccaneers become the first team to do it last year. And we might have to wait just one year later before the next team does it. 54 Super Bowls, no team does it. 55 and 56, we might have back-to-back because the Super Bowl was at SoFi Stadium, obviously the home of the Los Angeles Rams. I do think we're going to see improved play from a 49ers offense. I think It's I the California Bowl. It's the California Bowl. It's Niners-Rams Part 3. And I do think Garoppolo is going to look m- more comfortable. I think just playing in the Green Bay elements, again, especially playing injured, and I'm not making excuses for him. He didn't play well but I do feel like he's going to play better. Because you look at that game. They were down 17 nothing, but they were also down. The Rams scored a touchdown late in the game to take a seven-point lead with, about, I believe, around two and a half minutes to play. And Garoppolo led his team down the field to tie the game and force overtime. So I think we're going to see Garoppolo playing indoors another week of you know preparation, but also letting you know kind of his body heal. I think he's going to look just 
a little more comfortable in, in his element than he did last week against the Packers. Here's, like, an interesting question. We, we were both going with the Rams here, but this is not really related to this game. Do you think it's fair that only warm-weather places host Super Bowls? Well, the, Green Bay. Oh, no, sorry, not Green Bay. New York hosted the Super Bowl a couple year, few years ago. It is in domes sometimes, so it could be in a cold-weather place, but in a dome. I, I think just don't think they're proportionate. Yeah, and I understand, I understand what you're saying. I think it's mainly for the fan experience because the Super Bowl, yes, it's about the game, but you have all these the activities outside the stadium, and they're trying to, you know, it's, the NFL, it's all about getting as much money as possible. And I sure, think, but it's not, you know, I don't think it's fair. You don't, I don't think it's fair. I think maybe it, that's me talking as a Pittsburgh Steelers look, fan. I think it, but, I'll say you know, I don't think it's it fair. Would, I think it would be cool if... It was we, a rotation. If, a rotation, but imagine a Super Bowl in the frozen tundra and it starts snowing. I feel like we always love those. That would be awesome. We always love those classic Green Bay games. You know, whether the Packers win or lose, we always love those Green Bay games in January and just how that cozy, classic feeling it is. That would be fun to have a Super Bowl there. I think it would be. I think it would really. be I just think they're trying to tailor to the fan who, you know, maybe they won't go if they see it's ten degrees out and snowing. Isn't it also not fair for all these you know markets that you know. It, it's nice to bring in, you know, Super Bowl, that's a big occasion. It is. For any city attraction, is it fair that there, there are all these, you know, big, you know, marketplaces with nice stadiums? I mean, you know, it, it would be nice, you know, to, to, to have it in, you know, some of these other locations. I, I think, you know, it's only fair to these cities, these organizations, and, you know, it's something that's been bothering me for a couple of years. And, I don't, you know. Well, yeah, they, they started rotating the draft. There talks of could they rotate the NFL Combine? To not just you know one area, one region. So maybe, although I don't, I don't think we're going to see that anytime soon. Well, the In combine's terms... not the thing. I mean, no, I know, I know. The but... draft, sure, that's nice. I mean, I I can support you know, rotating the draft, but I'm just saying, you, I don't. Your vision of rotating it to every city and state, I, I don't think we're going to see that anytime soon. I don't think we're going to see it, but I think we should see it. I think it'd be fun. I think it'd I be think fun. it would be great. I think it, it would be, be great. It would be. So, Shai, let's kind of wrap up the podcast. We're going to talk about head coaches and GM vacancies next week and talk about the new head coaches, new GMs. We do want to wrap up because the news happened uh, this earlier this week. Sean Payton stepping down as a head coach. I just kind of want to get your thoughts on Sean Payton uh, and then obviously maybe briefly where the Saints go from here. Well, we were talking about earlier in this season – of him being a coach of the year candidate, they went nine and eight with four four different quarterbacks starting. I mean, I think he's done a remarkable job, and he should be a hot commodity um, if if he decides to come back to NFL coaching. He's, I, he's a hot commodity in the booth. That's true. I mean, I I would I would expect him to be pursued there too, and I think if you're the Saints, you know. I think your off-season plans remain to lean on Sean Payton, lean on his experience, know that he can win you, at, you know, seven or eight games. Excuse me, no matter who's playing at, at quarterback or or you know with a sound defense, that your team is going to you know have a sense of culture and discipline, which has been crucial to these Saints teams. And I think now you're looking, you know, who's going to be your quarterback next year? Will it be Jameis Winston? Uh, you know, what you're in salary cap. You know, hell, as they say. And they have the worst. I think I saw they are, and I'm not exaggerating, 
$74 million over the cap. So now and you, you lose your head coach. You are really have a tough road ahead of you if you're the New Orleans Saints. And Sean Payton, you know, he'll be able to go wherever he wants, and he should because he is a phenomenal coach. But you just got to think, you know, where do the Saints go from here? You've got to replace him. You know, some people are going to like talk about Dennis Allen. Maybe he'll get a shot. Um, maybe maybe they'll, they'll bring in someone else, you know, who's, who's experienced. But, um, you know, well, I'm sure we'll talk about that potentially next week if they get to it. But it's just going to be interesting to watch how this organization, which has been so well regarded, handles one of probably the more difficult and pressing off seasons they've had to manage in a while. And you, you just said, well-regarded. For years, the Saints were the laughingstock. Not many playoff appearances, not much postseason success. Constantly a bottom dweller. They were called the Aints, for crying out loud. They, were no, they weren't known as the Saints, they were known as the Aints. Is, the other, is there someone more important to that organization than Drew Brees and Sean Payton? No. Sean Payton is arguably the most important person of that entire organization. And I think if you want to say Drew Brees, I won't argue with you on that. But he's at, at least the second most important person in the entire to that entire franchise. And I really enjoyed watching his press conference when he announced he was stepping down officially. And just seeing him talk about his first year and talk about going name by name that 2006 draft class that set a principle and a culture and a foundation. What ownership meant to him and how his bond with their general manager, Mickey Loomis, has grown. He named all the guys that have been pro bowlers under, you know, under, in his tenure with the New Orleans Saints. Just seeing him kind of go through some of those teams and talking about the foundation and the culture that he helped build, it was really incredible to watch and you could just see him that he really did seem at peace with his decision and you know initially I thought he'll he'll be back in a year or two he'll be back in a couple years but I believe he will be going into tv and he said he even said that he thinks he'll be pretty good at it and I think he will be I think he will be so obviously a great football mind but I I'd be interested to see if he does come back to the game and I think 16 years with the organization, obviously incredibly well-respected, won a Super Bowl. We're going to have a conversation, if this is it for him, we're going to have a conversation about the Hall of Fame. We're going to have a conversation regarding Champagne as a Hall of Famer based on what he's did with the Saints organization, the amount of postseason success that they had, winning a Super Bowl, and just the overall brilliance that he brought to New Orleans. Because it goes, especially when you look at how they got through all those hurricanes, you know, Hurricane Katrina, all they went through. It's really incredible the just what the New Orleans Saints brought to that city and to that fan base. And I think that was led by Sean Payton. I think you're absolutely right. And I think he should and will be talked about uh, for a place in canon. And I think we both wish him the best um, in his future endeavors, Alex. Yes. So that's going to do it for this edition of NFL Game Time Podcast. Now, next week, there is no game. At Yes, we have the Pro Bowl, but no big game. So next week's episode, 
as I said earlier, will be centered on head coaching and GM vacancies, who's, who are the new head coaches, who are the new GMs, and where do those teams go moving? Where do those teams move forward from there? That's all the time we have on this edition of NFL Game Time Podcast. See you next week, and, en- and enjoy Championship Weekend.